0: This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks, captured on tape and heard around the world, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. You're listening to Rough Translation from NPR. Though she has a French passport... And the most French of names, Marie France. My name is Marie France Amada. And though she uses the quaintest French expressions when she's upset, oh purée, au purée, which is like au fudge, it took Marie France 40 years to feel truly French.
1: Marie France grew up in this public housing project in Marseille, in the south of France. Maman?
0: Our reporters in this story, NPR's Paris correspondent, Eleanor Beardsley, and our own Marianne McCune. <laughs>
1: merci. So, Marie-France, even though she was French and born in France, she says she never really felt French. People didn't consider her French. They saw her as African or Muslim from this bad neighborhood. And she said a teacher told her one time, Why bother getting your degree? Why don't you just drop out and make babies?
0: She spent the next decades bouncing from job to job, battling depression, raising her daughter alone. And then something changed. She got a new job. C'est mon premier
2: t-shirt, so she pulls out this uniform. her uniform, her first one. The uniform is a short-sleeved knit shirt
0: with blue pants.
2: Et le She's planning to save it forever.
0: Je le garde pour the job was at a company that marie Frances just summed up all those grand French values she'd learned in school. Liberty
2: equality, fraternity. Liberty, equality, fraternity. She told us me, the only place that I have found those things
0: is McDonald's. You're listening to Rough Translation, the show that takes you to far off places with stories that hit close to home. I'm Gregory Warner. If you wanted a perfect symbol of what the French detest about America, picture McDonald's. It's fast food. It's mass-produced. You eat it with your hands.
1: You always hear about how the French say McDonald's is malbouffe, really bad food. You know, you hear about this militant farmer named José Beauvais who 20 years ago, like, destroyed a McDonald's. He actually did jail time.
0: But today, we are going to take you to a neighborhood of Muslim immigrants in Marseille and introduce you to a McDonald's there that residents call their home, their church, their Switzerland, a place of neutrality and peace. We're going to meet the people who saw the golden arches of McDonald's as their gateway to French society and who took the company's corporate slogan so deeply to heart, it would actually become a problem for the company.
3: This
2: neighborhood, this McDonald's is in, is known mostly for bad things. Marseille is already known in France for its mafias and its drug gangs. And here's the
1: McDonald's right up here.
2: And the news out of this northern part of town is always about shootings and crime.
1: yeah de la drogue just quelques
2: mètres du The guy showing us around, Kamel Guaymari. He's pointing out drug dealers on the streets were passing. Kamel has a slender face, big brown eyes, big brown beard. He's the son of Algerian immigrants. Some
1: of these doors are off and the trash cans were all burned and... There's a couch
2: upside down. So we're going up to the neighborhood where Kamel grew up. Up a lonely, winding road to this notoriously scary high-rise complex called La Savine. He's taking us to this spot where he has a specific memory. There's
1: only one bus that comes up here, he said.
2: Camel keeps telling me to put my mic down below the windows. He doesn't want to attract attention. And at the last turn in the road, this one kid is standing guard. No one else around.
1: The young guy there is wearing like a a head mask, you know. ski
2: mask, he's the lookout for drug dealers. He's maybe 16. And Kamel says that easily could have been him 20 years ago.
3: It's
2: when the guy steps out in front of our car that Kamel says, watch out, and knocks my mic to the car floor. The kid strolls around to the window to find out what the hell we're doing here. Kamel tells him, I'm from here. And the kid's like, oh, okay, pardon, sorry, and goes back to his lookout spot. It's right around the next bend that Kamel points to a little courtyard, and he tells us it was here that Ronald McDonald Ronald. intervened. <laughs> In 1998, when Kamel was 16 years old, Ronald McDonald came to his high-rise for a visit.
4: Blagues,
3: he did his jokes, the devinettes, the riddles, the de magie.
2: magic tricks. And Kamel says this visit from Ronald was a major event. People didn't come to this neighborhood from outside, let alone a guy with a red clown mouth doing magic tricks. And in fact... Ronald almost didn't do the show that day. He had to be coaxed into it by this guy.
4: My name is Fa- Fabrice Elbaz.
2: Fabrice Elbaz. He was the restaurant manager at the time. He's Jewish. And he was the one who brought Ronald and a car full of snacks and decorations. And Fabrice says, when they pulled up to the housing complex, Ronald McDonald started freaking out. Right next to where we parked, Fabrice says there were three charred cars. So Ronald looks at him and he says, This is where we're doing the thing? For Fabrice, this young manager, it wasn't just about a magic show. This was a hearts and minds campaign. A directive from the very top, part of McDonald's corporate strategy. You court customers by showing up in their neighborhoods. McDonald's head put ping pong tables at the foot of the high-rises, sponsored youth soccer leagues kids in McDonald's uniforms. Ronald's visit was a part of all that. So, the actor playing Ronald reluctantly gets out of the car, changes into a striped suit, an orange wig, Fabrice sets up the snacks and party favors, and the big orange bowl, the traditional McDonald's cooler with orange aid. More than a hundred kids showed up to see him. The neighborhood moms brought samosas, these different traditional pastries and cakes, and the party was still going strong when Ronald had to go home. 5 p.m. sharp. He was a union actor. With kids still romping around and drinking their orangeade, Fabrice couldn't pack up the orange bowl and take Ronald home on time. So Kamel, who was then this lanky, sort of rumpled kid, he offered to bring it back the next day.
3: Vous pas et tout ça?
2: At this point, Kamel's parents had split. He was living half on the street, sometimes with friends. He wasn't going to school. He was embarrassed about his dirty clothes. And also, he had a lot of trouble reading, undiagnosed dyslexia. And Fabrice, though he's never met this kid from the worst of Marseille's public housing, he didn't blink an eye, oh, non, j'ai, j'ai pas eu de doute. didn't doubt him. Non, non. Kamel remembers him saying,
3: Okay, on peut vous faire confiance.
2: okay we'll trust you. Next day, Camel rides a scooter over to the McDonald's, carrying the big orange bowl cooler with him, and he returns it to Fabrice, the manager. And then... Demandé, uh, he asked...
3: Est-ce que c'est possible de pouvoir travailler?
2: Would it be possible for him to get a job?
0: What Kamel did not realize, standing there, waiting for a yes or a no, was that there was something working in his favor. An anecdote... ...that had been told and retold by top executives and franchise owners at McDonald's all around the world. And it was a story about the L.A. riots of
3: 1992.
0: No no peace! No justice! No peace! After the acquittal of a group of white police officers... ...who'd been videotaped beating an unarmed black man named Rodney King... ...residents in poor black neighborhoods started setting stores and restaurants on fire. But they spared McDonald's. McDonald's, they explained to reporters, was theirs... McDonald's served students free lunches, given out coffee to neighbors, and employed their kids. This was all part of corporate strategy. Other franchise owners were encouraged to hire local. Some of them started paying employees while they did their homework or gave bonuses for good grades, even offered tutoring.
4: Ça de marketing.
2: Fabrice says, yeah, those things are part of marketing.
4: It's a way of saying, we
2: are here, we're going to stay here, and we're here to help. So when Fabrice looks at this 16-year-old kid from the neighborhood asking for a job, What he sees is an opportunity for McDonald's to belong to this neighborhood. Here's this kid who's betting that flipping burgers for a low wage at his local McDonald's is a better choice than the easy money he could make working for the drug dealers in the housing complex. Fabrice thought if this kid was going to bet on McDonald's, McDonald's should bet on him. So Fabrice hands him a job application form, says, Sit down, write your cover letter. And Kamel now he's not sure what to do. He doesn't read well. Remember, he's dyslexic. He can't write this on his own. And if Camel was asking for a job in a regular French company, this is likely where it would have ended. French company culture, especially back then, was traditional and strict, governed by hierarchy. But McDonald's was different. Fabrice remembers his own first week at the company when the president of McDonald's, France, France came to his restaurant. He was an American guy, and Fabrice oh, is oh, okay, flipping oh. burgers for the first time. On
4: avait des cravates, on les the tie
2: of his uniform, uniform is tossed over his, his shoulder to keep it clean. Arrivé, and the president comes over to congratulate him and says, bonjour, Fabrice. Hi, Fabrice, calls him by his first name. And Fabrice knew it was a strategy, that his boss had probably learned his name five minutes ago, but he was still enchanted. In other companies, people would definitely be using the formal you. At McDonald's, it was all informal, everyone rubbing shoulders. Fabrice actually uses the word magic to describe this
4: moment.
2: So in that moment with Kamel, this teenager who can barely read, standing there unable to fill out his job application, Fabrice just helps him. They write the cover letter together. And he gets the job. And he's terrible. He doesn't show up on time. He gets angry when his supervisors give him an order he doesn't agree with. He misses whole shifts, whole days, whole weeks, with no one And, and then Fabrice says 30 he'd 30 show up, all apologies.
4: After, after month, we didn't see him.
2: Sometimes so Fabrice says he wouldn't see so Kamel for Kamel, a Kamel, month. Me, and then I'm he, he chercher, says he would personally walk over to Kamel's housing complex, I'm find him, Kamel, and bring him I'm back. Fabrice saw something in Kamel. First, the way he'd watch and listen and learn. How he remembered everything he was told, but also if there was trouble in the McDonalds, some fight broke out or a purse got snatched, it was Kamel who would come out from behind the counter, and break things up, settle the disputes. When Fabrice looks at Kamel now, with his combination of muscle and charisma, he thinks.
4: I think
2: he's a guy who, if he hadn't ended up at McDonalds.
4: Ça Un gros
2: he would be the biggest crook on the block. Un
4: gros, gros voyou du coin, ouais.
2: Kamel says he really did want this job. He wanted the regular salary and he wanted the respect. But then he'd have these days at work where kids he knew from the neighborhood would come in.
3: Oh, They were
2: these tough kids. And there I am with a mop and a bucket and cleaning off tables. Inside my head, I was like, crap. When I was out on the street, I was tough. And now they're going to say, he does the housework. On the side, when he wasn't showing up at work, Kamel started dabbling in crime. A little carjacking, delivering drugs across France, even to Spain. It paid better than McDonald's. When he was 18 or 19, he didn't show up to his McDonald's shift for a full six months. And then he remembers this day. He was back in town, and he ran into some of his former co-workers. Come back. Come back to work. You're still on the schedule, they told
3: him. People
2: had basically been covering for him as if he was just out for a sick day. So he walks back into the restaurant. And he says, je suis revenu, I came back, et je me suis and I've got my uniform on.
3: He says Fabrice went
2: first into a rage. But then he decided to punish Kamel. That's how Camel saw it, at least. Fabrice sent him to work at a different McDonald's, in an upscale mall an hour away on the bus. And this time, it's not just going to be kids from the neighborhood showing up in name-brand sneakers. The kids who worked at this McDonald's had pools at home and drove their parents' cars to and from work. Their parents were architects and doctors. And this restaurant, it was not run like a family. It was not set up to help kids like him. Fabrice says the boss there was not going to act fatherly and protect there was a rigor that Kamel wasn't used to. Uh, pas you couldn't miss work. Pas en you couldn't arrive late. And Kamel, he pulled it off. But what he really remembers about this time is something else. That he was able to fit into this other world, one he had both judged and felt intimidated by. He could command their respect,
3: C'est quand j'ai commencé à prendre confiance en moi.
2: And that, Kamel says, is when he started to feel really confident. It was a déclic.
3: Ça a, été déclic pour moi.
2: a switch was flipped.
3: Je des moments avec, uh, des collègues chez eux dans des villas.
2: He says he was hanging out with his co-workers at their villas, in their swimming pools, la
3: piscine, des
2: even their parents seemed to accept him.
3: Ils pas de dire, voilà, ne pas avec he Says
2: they didn't say, Hey, don't hang out with that kid from the north side. Fabrice had hoped Camille's time in the other McDonald's would turn him around. And it did. Six months later, when Camille came back to work at the McDonald's in his own neighborhood, he was a model employee. And pretty soon, he got selected to go to Paris to take a test, to become a manager himself. It's a week-long exam, and on the first day, there's a written test. And if you don't pass, you get sent home. You can't do the rest of the training. So on that first day, Kamel was terrified. Until now, he'd made every effort to hide these parts of himself that he couldn't read or write well. In Paris that week, he decided he didn't want to do that.
3: Before
2: the first exam, he says he went to the head trainer and just told him the truth.
3: Je ne veux pas tricher, mais
2: I don't want to cheat, he told him, but
3: je souhaiterais que vous
2: I would like for you to help me succeed.
3: Ont fait, dans une they put him in a room. Il les questions, they il had, had him termes.
2: read the questions. Je and when there were things he didn't understand,
3: français, la elle est riche.
2: the trainer explained the question to him in a language he could understand. Kamel gave the answers. And out of 25 questions, he says he made one mistake. That is when McDonald's made a true believer of Kamel. All those years of not giving up on him, helping him succeed over and over again, they got more than a manager. McDonald's won his loyalty. It's been more than 20 years since that day Kamel promised to return Ronald McDonald's Orange Bowl. He still works at the same McDonald's where he got his first job. A lot of people have worked here a long time made careers instead of passing through. To them, this little one-story restaurant amidst the miles of high-rises is this strange little oasis. But this
1: is where they all grew up. The mothers came
2: here, they brought their kids. So outside there's a red brick patio and there's a big play structure they call a gym like a a little tower and there's little slides and windows they can peek through. The village cafe, basically. There are all kinds of families eating at picnic tables. It's truly like the billboards that you see around France for McDonald's. You see people of all ages and skin shades and dress styles. There are two women in headscarves eating fries. There's a blonde dad squirting mayonnaise on his son's burger. Some of the moms who live around here told us they know their teenagers are safe if they text from McDonald's. Kamel knows everyone here, and probably their grandparents. He's always greeting people with kisses on both cheeks, whether it's a longtime customer or his staff. And he's spent all these years trying to bring people up the way Fabrice did for him, like a kid who works here now that they hired straight out of prison, or... Marie-France, the single mom who we met, who says, Oh purée. Oh purée. Oh fudge. She says, When she first started working here, she had health problems. She was overweight. <laughs> <Vous imaginez? laughs> she couldn't move fast enough to fill the orders in time. J'étais lent, I was so slow, she says. She was worried that she was going to be fired. But instead of firing her, Kamel coached her. One day, Kamel said this phrase to her. Venez comme vous êtes. He said, here at this McDonald's,
3: Venez comme vous êtes.
2: come as you are. It's actually McDonald's corporate slogan in France now. It's all over their ads. But for Marie-France, it felt like so much more than a slogan. It felt like gospel. Pour moi, c'est ça. Just like Kamel, she came with flaws, they accepted them, and they helped her overcome. But... Last year, Kamel and the other workers started to worry. There were rumblings of problems. Some road construction keeping customers away. The franchise owner was sick and he wanted to sell. There were rumors that it might not even be a McDonald's anymore. And finally, one spring day, Kamel and the others found out those rumors weren't just rumors. They were
3: true. We were all
2: shocked, Kamel says. Hopeless.
3: La fin de notre vie.
2: Now, this McDonald's had been sold before. It's part of a group of six McDonald's in Marseille that have passed through various hands, through various franchise owners. But it's always been a McDonald's, since 1992. Now, with the threat of the golden arches coming down, marie says they started trying everything to save the restaurant. The franchise owner told them they had to run a tighter ship to work faster and make the place shine, clean the walls, clean every nook and cranny, and so they did. They got on their hands and knees to scrub the toilet. They made the place impeccable. When that didn't work, they started taking things into their own hands, trying to figure out someone to buy the franchise and keep at a McDonald's, meeting with a lawyer to see if they could stop the sale. But still, one hot summer day, the owner announces he's sold it. And while the other five of his McDonald's are going to a new franchise owner, this McDonald's will not be a McDonald's anymore. And Kamel, he calmly locks himself inside the McDonald's with a gallon of gasoline. Once he's inside and no one else can get in, he starts live streaming on Facebook.
3: Même pas moi même, j'ai envie de me faire du mal.
2: On the video, you can see how skinny he's gotten. He's got bags under his eyes. He's only sleeping two or three hours a night. He's at risk of losing this place where he has spent half his life. He loves this place. There are all these people there who look to him to know what to do, and he says he let them down. So he starts pouring the gasoline all over himself. Marie-France is outside with a bunch of the other employees, knocking on all the doors, calling for help, shaking, crying.
3: Rough translation,
0: back in a minute. Instead of scrolling mindlessly, engage mindfully with the NPR app. With a mix of on-demand news, stories from this station, and your favorite podcast, you can relax without shutting off your brain. Download the NPR app today. This is NPR's rough translation. When we left our story, Kamel had locked himself inside that McDonald's, drenched in gasoline, still streaming on Facebook Live. Journalists are arriving outside, along with police and firefighters. And Kamel looks into his camera and mentions a name. Abassi. Abassi. He's the guy who's buying the other five
3: McDonald's. Why
0: Why won't you buy our McDonald's too? It's because it's on the north side, in this forgotten neighborhood. And then he demands to talk to local politicians. And a senator actually answers his call. She promises to help and tells him... Don't abandon your coworkers. So Kamel unlocks the door, walks out, and is led away by a firefighter who wants to make sure he's okay. That guy that Kamel mentioned, Abasi, the one buying the other five McDonald's, he knows all about this Facebook video and says that the reason he's not buying this McDonald's is not because of what neighborhood it's in. It's because of who works there. Mohamed Abassi lives in a posh neighborhood of Marseille. He says his neighbors are still surprised to find a family with Moroccan roots living next door. But he got rich as a McDonald's franchise owner. And he's known Kamel for years. He's seen him rise up and become a leader. I have a respect for Mr. Kamel Gamalai, okay?
5: But I don't want to work with him, okay? He choice one way, I choice another way, Okay.
0: Abassi had known Kamel for years. He'd seen him rise up and become a leader. And he'd seen him use his charisma and his toughness to fight for higher salaries and better benefits. Abassi says he'd turn workers into soldiers, which is not what Abbasi wants.
5: This person, person, they only work
0: for me, okay? It's not the soldiers, <laughs> you know? Just workers. And so, because Abassi didn't want it and nobody did, the owner had sold this McDonald's to a halal foods company called Ali Foods. McDonald's in France doesn't do halal. <laughs> a couple weeks later, we asked NPR's Paris correspondent, Eleanor Beardsley, to head down to Marseille.
1: Yeah, so I went down there and um, I was quite surprised. Awesome. And, uh, I see the McDonald's. It looks like a regular McDonald's on a busy traffic circle. Till you get closer. All the windows of this McDonald's had black trash bags taped up so you couldn't see inside. And you see all the posters in the windows, union posters, open to dialogues, says one in big red letters. One of them says, total support to Kamal Gamari, who wanted to sacrifice his life for us. Let's go see so people are still wearing their uniforms just a couple employees in here I'm looking at the mattress on the floor where some employees have been sleeping here every night since it's been occupied so, I ran into all kinds of employees, even Fabrice, Kamel's first manager, and he was incensed, especially about the idea that they wanted to turn this McDonald's into a halal
4: restaurant. restaurants You know,
1: there are already halal restaurants here. They don't need another one. Fabrice is saying,
4: today, this McDonald's
1: is like a door to the rest of the world for people here. It's really a link to society, it's a link to the France outside of this neighborhood.
4: In
1: fact, everyone I talked to, but especially Muslims, were angered by this. They said opening a halal restaurant would be turning their neighborhood into some sort of Muslim ghetto. Oh, oui. <laughs> Là, on attend la de- la Mary France, you know, before the decision, she's so dispirited and she says, I feel like they're rejecting all the principles they wanted us to hold dear. Like integration, acceptance, being given a second chance. La chance. Everything that gives tout us hope to de succeed, de they're rejecting now. Tout quoi. They'd been McDonald's. McDonald's means something to the world. What does Holly Foods mean? Nothing.
0: So that's why the black bags on the windows and the mattresses on the floor. Kamel has organized all these workers to block the sale until the court can decide.
1: They sued to block it because they said this was not a legitimate company. It would go bust in six months and they would all lose their jobs and it would be the French state who would pay their unemployment instead of McDonald's.
0: They argue in court that the sale is actually a scheme to fire the McDonald's workers who had been there for years.
1: And I was in the McDonald's when we were waiting for the court's decision so, everyone's sort of showing up today before the decision, uh, greeting each other. I think there's going to be more and more people. I'll never forget all the people coming in and out. People just from the neighborhood and people from other areas of Marseille. And you had like a, a congressman from Marseille and you had local officials.
0: Hours pass, it's a long wait. Thankfully, they're open enough to be making fries.
1: Ah, yeah, you can. You can take them out. Okay, the McDonald's employees are sitting here waiting for the phone call from the court. There's a lot of media around. And they announced it, and um, the lawyer, they were on the phone with a lawyer, and it just erupted. Everyone erupted. Oh my God, it looks like they won. And there's tears in people's eyes. It's,
0: It's incredible.
1: So the decision is made, the sale has been cancelled. People are really happy.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and then Kamel
1: starts to speak <laughs> and he talks about this is just vindication. The little lowdown employees even from this very poor neighborhood in the north of the city have been recognized. you. <laughs> in the parking lot. <laughs> you know, everybody just was partying and um, playing all these great left-wing songs like the Italian resistance song from 1944 that everybody knows here. How does that ciao go? Ciao, Bella, ciao, Bella, ciao, ciao, ciao. I mean, it's a great song. And then they were singing, uh, you know, just these great street
5: songs. <laughs>
1: I thought this was going to be the end. I just thought, well, we're going to celebrate. They kept their McDonald's, and that's the end of the story. But that's when things got really complicated. Well, okay, I came for the party where they were going to celebrate, and Kamal was going to give a speech and all that. All the drinks are out. I mean, there's Coke and all the chips and yucky little candies, but... You know, everybody's ready, and then all of a sudden, the party seems to be off.
0: Did you literally walk in and to a celebration and see nobody there, and it's just yeah, like some coke? Yeah,
1: exactly. All of a sudden, Camel and people are rushing in. Like, what are you doing? Where are you going? They said, We got to go. We got to go to the other McDonald's. And why? What's going on? Abasi is coming. He's he's shown up there. It's like, what do you mean? I I just didn't get it at all, and um, I was totally lost. Yeah.
2: We find weird, fun, interesting stories that explain the way money shapes our lives. Inflation, recessions, the price of gas. We've got you. Listen now to the Planet Money podcast from NPR.
0: There's a lot to stay on top of on any given day. You might have to break things down into smaller pieces in order to keep up. That's why we're introducing the new Consider This newsletter from NPR. Every weekday, we sift through all the day's news and bring you one big story in an easily skimmable format so you become a mini-expert on a major topic each day. Sign up for free at npr.org slash newsletter. Hey, it's Gregory here, and before we get back to the show, we would love your help. We are already thinking ahead to our next season of Rough Translation, and we want to hear what you think of the show. What do you want more of? Where in the world do you want us to go? Let us know. You can open Apple Podcasts and write a review or send it on Twitter or by email. I will personally read every single one of these. It really does make a difference to what we do. Now back to the show. We are back with NPR's Rough Translation. And to understand where we left off with Eleanor at a party and nobody there, you have to understand that Kamel was now facing a kind of choice. Whether to celebrate a victory in this battle or go to war. Because there was another part of that court decision. Yes, the court had stopped the sale of this one McDonald's, but it had approved the sale of the other five to Mohamed Abbasi, the franchise owner who wants nothing to do with Kamel. Now, Kamel's McDonald's was split off from the rest. And this may be more than you wanted to know about fast food economics, but if you've got six McDonald's, you can share costs. You can absorb a, say, highly paid employee who's been there for decades, like Kamel. A standalone McDonald's, that is much more precarious.
2: The whole time that Kamel was growing up in this McDonald's, learning the deep fryer and the cash register and then how to manage and motivate a team, he'd also been a kind of student of power. If at first he was the employee who would break up a fight or run down a purse snatcher, now he could rally dozens of McDonald's employees to fight. So in the middle of what was going to be a celebration, Kamel and the other organizers of the protest huddle around a table together. And they're telling him, we're counting on you. Kamel decides to put to use all the leadership skills he'd learned during his years at McDonald's and stand up to the new franchiser. Stand up to Abbasi. He's going to try to reverse the whole sale.
1: Oh my God, this next day I was kind of shocked. So we went around to these McDonald's and uh, it's cool and dark inside another McDonald's in Marseille. They were occupied. We drove up to McDonald's, regular McDonald's. You know, you, you felt you could have been in America. And then you'd go up and you'd see the black trash bags on the window. The windows are blacked up. And you'd go inside and the workers would be there and huddled around and Kamel would give them a booster speech and they'd they'd talk, you know, rah rah and great what you did and yes, we're with you. So there's more employees huddled back here. Everybody's wearing these shirts that say
0: Mixed Strike. Mixed Strike? It sounds like. So there's a bit of an anti-McDonald's aspect to this?
1: You know, it's really funny. There should be a huge anti-McDonald's, and this is what I can never quite figure out. Through all of this, nobody is hating McDonald's. They felt they were helping McDonald's International from this ignominious ending in Marseille that the local horrible franchiser had plotted and planned for them. Well, we're leaving McDonald's et
2: In the union office where Kamel and the other workers go to strategize, there's a photo of the franchise owner, Mohamed Abassi, the one who bought the other five restaurants but refused to buy the McDonald's where Kamel works. The photo is doctored to show him wearing a turban, and in the background, there are airplanes flying into the World Trade Center. They're making him out to be Osama bin Laden. Really?
5: I, I, I know all that they tell you know, it's, it's fake news, okay?
2: By the time I met Abasi at his office above one of his flagship McDonald's, he had reclaimed control of the McDonald's he'd bought. There were no more plastic bags in the windows. But the fate of Camel's and Marie France's restaurant, it was still in limbo. And the fight between Kamel and this new owner was still going full force. Ongoing lawsuits, still bitter and nasty, each side calling the other thugs in person and on social media. But beyond all the vitriol and the tit-for-tat, each man was fighting for his vision of what McDonald's is and what it should be. The surprising thing is, Abassi has a remarkably similar story to Kamel's. Growing up, he also felt like an outsider in France.
5: It's very difficult, you know, when your name is Mohammed, okay, you're not white with blue eyes. It's very difficult here in France.
2: Abassi also grew up in the poor outskirts of a French city. McDonald's also gave him his first real break, and he rose up from there. And Abassi has his own memories of being treated like someone worthwhile at McDonald's. He once drank beer with the president of McDonald's France. He
5: speak with me normally, okay? How are you? Fine? You know? I'm very uh, uh,
2: shocked. McDonald's told each of them, come as you are. But Abbassi heard something different than Kamel in that phrase. Kamel heard... McDonald's is an institution that will take in hard luck kids and turn them into respected leaders. Abassi heard McDonald's is a place where no matter who you are, if you work hard, you can rise up and get rich.
5: Americans guys never tell me where we come from.
2: He says they just want to know how
5: much I can give them money, you know.
2: How much I can earn
5: for them. He se au milieu de tous <laughs> les paradoxes français.
2: Mohamed Abassi says McDonald's is trapped in the middle of all the French paradoxes. We want businesses, but we don't want bosses. We want to take care of poor neighborhoods, but we don't want to pay taxes for it. He says before, the French left protested McDonald's, even cheered when a restaurant was torn down.
5: And now they tell, oh, this restaurant
2: is very important. He says now they want McDonald's to do social work, to take care of people. You
5: need McDonald's. It's just crazy, okay? The cynisme. Les gens sont cyniques.
2: It's so cynical, he says. People are cynics.
0: The argument between these two men about the fate of one McDonald's in the northern outskirts of Marseille actually gets to the heart of one of France's biggest debates right now, about what French companies owe their workers. You might remember that last year, the streets of French cities were paralyzed by labor protests. Eleanor covered them all year.
1: You know, President Macron, Emmanuel Macron, has come in and he said he wants to change the French rigid labor market and bring France into the 21st century. And what he's done is he's trying to reform that labor market. and. You know, the country really seems split. There's half the country that says, thank God, it's about time. It's way too hard to fire people, so you can't hire people, and everything is frozen. And then you have, you know, the left, which thinks you don't lay people off for shareholders. That's something you do in America, where they let people just live on the
2: street. Abbasi is not the kind of boss that would have kept teenage Kamel on his
5: staff.
2: I am not a tender guy, he says. You don't succeed in business by being tender. He has employees who've risen from the bottom to the top. And he might have hired Kamel, but he wouldn't have given him those third, fifth, sixth chances. Now... Kamel and his co-workers are making so much noise. Their fight to save their McDonald's is bringing so much bad press. It's making his McDonald's look bad. He just wants all that to go away. So he has changed his mind. And he's offering to buy it. But only on one condition. That he cut the four senior positions at the restaurant. So the McDonald's can stay at McDonald's, only if Kamel leaves.
5: If you don't take this solution, there are no solutions for this restaurant. And I think that finally it will be closed, okay? And all the jobs are lost.
2: One way to look at it, Kamel's best chance of saving this McDonald's that he loves may be to abandon it. What's going to happen to Marie
5: France? Marie France needs to speak with Kamel, okay? You have a chance to leave, okay? And to to go to take a new job, but me, Marie-France, I need these jobs. That's, that's what, what I, I tell to Marie-France to tell to Kamel. Accept the solution that Mr. Mohamed Abassi gave you, okay? Don't think only about yourself, but think about the collectivity, okay? About the collective.
2: There is no way that Marie-France is going to tell Kamel to leave. Kamel est très important. She says Kamel is very important. Okay, He's our shield. Protection. He's our protection. Because if I it weren't for him and the others, I would never have been hired. Have been These are people with hearts. Heart. And she says more important to her than the job is the warrior she's become. Oh, franchement, no. <laughs> Je suis I didn't know this side of myself, she says. At 42 years old, she says, I'm waking up. And if Kamel doesn't keep fighting and if she doesn't keep fighting with him, she says, excusez Et ça beaucoup de gens Excuse me, but France has a history and a lot of people forget it. They forget the values of France. C'est liberté, égalité, fraternité.
1: Ah, the latest. Camel called me this morning. He called me this morning. They received a letter from the franchiser. It seems he's taking the legal steps to close this McDonald's down for good.
2: We called McDonald's France about this battle. A spokesperson told us it's a local issue, that they've talked to both parties, and that the parties have to work it out between themselves. There was one person who was willing to buy Camel's and Marie-France's McDonald's with all its warriors from the bottom to the top. And that person was Fabrice Elbaz, the manager who first hired Camel 20 years ago. He's done well, and he says he can come up with the money. He says he's a capitalist, too. He said he told McDonald's, let us try at least. And if we end up losing money, then you can shut it down. But he says McDonald's wouldn't give him permission to become the franchise owner.
4: Ils pas. Fabrice's theory… He says qu'on they
2: don't want us to become more powerful than we already trop, are. Trop on this one point, everyone we talked to agrees that giving this McDonald's to Fabrice and the others, it would send a message around the world that you can occupy a McDonald's and win. So Fabrice, after 25 years with McDonald's, he's given up and is moving on to Burger King.
0: Today's show was produced by Jess Jang and Marianne McCune. This, by the way, is Marianne's last week with our show. She is joining the team at WNYC. We are very sorry to see her go. She is a joy to work with and has been an incredible collaborator and Radio Smith. You can follow all her future projects on Twitter. She's at Marianne McCune. That's two N's, two C's. This episode was edited by Amy Drozdowska. Many people listened to this piece and made it better. Thank you to Karen Duffin, Jacob Goldstein, Hannah Rosen, Sana Krasikov, Nicolas Sanya, and Ngofen Ptubele. Thanks also to Maud de Carpentier, Salim Grabsi, Leticia Gentilly, Francesco Brescia, Mike McCune, Kevin Beasley, and our own Autumn Barnes. The Rough Translation High Council is Neil Caruth, Chris Turpin, Will Dobson, and Anya Grunman. Mastering by Isaac Rodriguez, our music was composed by John Ellis with help from Eric Dubé. Scoring by Marianne McCune and Mike Cruz. Our project manager is Aaron Register. Don't forget to drop us a review at Apple Podcasts and give us your thoughts about the show and tell a friend about what you heard. It really does help us continue bringing these shows to you. And as always, we'd love to hear from you on email at roughtranslation at npr.org or on Twitter at Roughly. I'm Gregory Warner, back in two weeks with more Rough Translation.
4: On the Code Switch podcast, conversations about race don't start and stop with the news cycle. We know that race is always relevant, and we have new topics, new voices, and new stories for you every single week. Listen to the Code Switch podcast from NPR.
1: Every weekday, NPR's best political reporters come to you on the NPR Politics podcast, to explain the big news coming out of Washington, the campaign trail, and beyond. We don't just want to tell you what happened, we tell you why it matters.
4: Join the NPR Politics Podcast every single afternoon to understand the world through political eyes. What does it sound like to record an album inside a jail? On the documentary podcast Track Change, you'll hear four men make music inside Richmond City Jail. And hear how they're trying to break free from a cycle of addiction and incarceration.
0: Been so long since I've been free.
2: Listen to Track Change from Narratively and VPM, part of the NPR Network.